Hey, Boxbreakers. Welcome back to Living Box Free. I'm Ashleen Seitz. And I'm Becky Ford. And we are talking about a topic today that was suggested to us. I'm super excited. Every once in a while, we get suggestions from you guys on topics or series, which keep them coming, please. That's helpful. We want to know what you want to talk about. And today, we are going to talk about negotiation and the art of negotiation. And since I am not good at it, and Becky is skilled at it, but not necessarily... Uh, certified in it. I am not skilled at it. Expert with a young child. I am not (laughs) skilled at it. I'm learning (laughs) with a 16 month old. My negotiation skills are not working. (laughs) (laughs) So we brought in an expert. His name is Eric Davy Gislason. I really hope I got that right. And we are super excited to talk to him. But before we do that, what's on the rise for you, Becky? On the rise for me this week is my mother-in-law, Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So our family's all in Kansas, and she is moving to Indiana this Sunday. So we will have, for the first time in our eight years of marriage, a family member here in town. Uh, So that's what's on the rise. And uh, yeah, it's also inspired me to get rid of a ton of pots and pans and things that have been sitting around my house just to make space, because she'll be living with us for a little bit. So goodwill. If you're Goodwill on the east side of Indianapolis, go get. There's a ton of kitchen stuff, ton of mugs. Did you know they actually move it so that you don't see your own stuff? Oh, I did not know that. So they take, if you donate something, they move it to a different region, which makes All sense. Right. So you don't Indianapolis, see Indianapolis, if you find a mug with Tristan's face, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We kept that one. All right. What's on the rise for you, Ash? On the rise for me, I'm trying to figure out travel plans, man, with like, COVID craziness. I'm trying to figure out, I want to go meet my new nephew. I have a new nephew who's uh, nine months old and I haven't met him yet, which is crazy. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out travel plans and I feel like it's stressful just figuring out is, is this person okay with me coming? Do I need to get a test first? Are there even any tests? I don't know. Um, so that's what's on the rise for me. Travel plans slash travel stress. And Eric, I know we'll introduce you or Becky's going to introduce you in just a minute, but before that, love to hear what's on the rise for you this week. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for for having me in advance. I'll I'll, I'll uh, wait to uh, to officially thank you, but um, it's really great to be here. And it's been hard to sit here for the la- just the last minute to think. You know, I really wanted to break in, laugh, and you, you're, you're welcome you're, to. Yeah. Please, please do. <laughs> um, but what's on the rise for me is something that the two of you, being uh, um, fitness fanatics, probably know about, but I just found out about is. Um, this thing called the lateral exolytical machine, where you can actually uh, change the angle or the width of your feet as you uh, oh. your stride. Wow! And uh, it is just awesome. I'm back to the gym after you know um, uh, my hiatus over the holidays, and and I sure. found this machine tucked in the corner, and and uh, it is. It's awesome. I have, I've got, I've, I've got a history of three knee surgeries and a knee, a total knee replacement. Oh. So um, the lateral movement has always been something that's kind of challenging um, uh, in rehab, and this is like the yeah. best. So that's what's on the rise for me. Wow. Okay. Oh, that is so cool. We'll have to tell my husband about that. Maybe yeah. a new piece of equipment for our gym. Mm-hmm. Well, Eric, welcome. I know that. Uh, Ash just met you right before this. Mm-hmm. I actually met Eric. It was November, right? November. Right. Yeah. And Eric and I were in the same class cohort for a Coach You training program, an accelerated training program. We were on dig- we were digital on Zoom from 
oh my gosh, it was eight hours a day, oh, right? Yeah. 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 It was a and, lot. It, and we both days, are East six, Coast time. Yeah. 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 Six days, Monday through Saturday. So we spent a lot of time together. And Eric, uh, in this coaching training, Eric and I got to actually be paired up and Eric coached me. And if there's one thing that really stood out to me, and I told Ash this, Eric has that it factor. Oh. Like, I feel like Eric could just be friends with anyone oh, and man. is so genuine. And one of the things that Eric mentioned, I remember when we were t- coaching each other, was his dis- he loves negotiation, talking about negotiation and how negotiation is important for everyone, not just sales reps or real estate agents, but, and I'm even learning this now as a mother and also as a wife, like negotiating with your family, negotiating in so many different areas of life. Well, I was going to say, Becky, that you have your mother-in-law coming in and a 16 month old. That is about as, those are the, those are two, uh, (laughs) very, very strong negotiating partners you're working with there. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. I've practiced negotiating on how long the mother-in-law can live with us. So (laughs) I've already been negotiating some terms there. Already working on it. Yeah. But I have a lot to learn and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to learn how to better negotiate in their personal and their work life. So Eric, Welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here and I love your podcast and I'm 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 uh, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. So thank you. Oh, we are so grateful. At first off, I know that I probably know a lot more about you than most people. We want them to understand what's your background. How did you get into negotiation? So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to follow my own advice as a negotiation instructor and talk about how important it is to create a sameness connection. So instead of just giving you that, you know, that this is what I've been doing for the last five years approach to my bio, um, I find that it's much, much better so that you can understand who I am to give you a little bit about, like, all about me. Um, I'm, so I'll start, I'll start from the beginning. I was, I was born and raised in a small town in Minnesota. And uh, after high school, I, I traveled as a performer in a group called Up With People. And then I returned back to Minnesota to attend college at St. Olaf College. Um, rest in peace, Betty White. But uh, St. Olaf College uh, was where I went to college. And, um, uh, and uh, I majored in speech theater and economics. And so I was a theater major and uh, decided to pursue that after college. So I started a theater company and, and did uh, theater in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota for a couple of years after college. And then moved to New York to pursue my dream as a Broadway actor. Um, after several off-Broadway shows and a commercials and a, a national tour and some a lot of bartending gigs, um, I decided it was time for me to try something else. So um, like a lot of people in real estate, real estate was a second career for me. And it was a, a new beginning after having... Um, struggled for a long time as a as a as a poor actor in New York City. Um, it turns out that I loved it. It turns out that I was pretty good at it, and um, and so that was uh, 15 years ago. I started my journey as a real estate professional, and that took me into management and as a sales director and a coach and a director of development. So as I as I started getting deeper into real estate, I started taking on more leadership roles, and so 10 years into real estate, I decided. My second child was on the way, um, so you know about this, Becky. It, it is, it is incredibly. Uh, it it changes your life to have children, 
And um, I'm the son of a mediator and a, and a lawyer who worked all the time. And I was working all the time. So I looked down the pike and I said, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do this. So I, I left uh, the world of, of, of uh, sales directorship, um, which was a, just a seven-day-a-week, all-day-all-night gig, and went back in the field as an agent, uh, which completely changed my life, completely changed my schedule, my, my time that I had with my kids, and still does. But what it did is it opened this space for me to think about my coaching and training and where that was going to take me. And I was always, as a, tra- as a trainer and as a, a director, I was always uh, excited and involved in, in the art of negotiation. It was something that, that has always been something that I'm passionate about. But then I met uh, Tom Heyman, a guy, the guy who, uh, the man who runs and created uh, the Real Estate Negotiation Institute, and uh, took uh, one of his classes, and I was changed. Everything I knew about negotiation, it just framed it in a different way. And so I just, I just kept d- diving deeper and deeper into this. And then finally, I said, you know what, I've got I've to be a part of this. So I, I contacted Tom, and I asked him how I could be a part of it. That was over five years ago. And I started teaching uh, different, these different negotiation courses, all surrounding collaborative negotiation techniques, which I'm sure we'll get into um, but the, the idea of the ch- I, teaching uh, um, real estate professionals this material is so critical in my mind because we don't have the greatest industry reputation and there's a reason why. Um, and uh, and by, by teaching real estate professionals negotiation skills, I feel like I'm giving back to that industry a little bit more. So that's become my passion project. I've been doing it for a long time. And as I go, I just become more and more entrenched in it. And I truly, over the course of the last several years of of studying this, I've become an expert in collaborative negotiation and negotiation techniques, not just for real estate agents, but this stuff is all, you know, it's all encompassing in it. And it, it translates to all the different facets of our life. So um, that's, that's a bit about me and how I got, how I got into negotiation. There's one thing that's very clear is your passion, (laughs) your passion for this. I love it. Let's, let's get into negotiation. Let's just start simple. How do you define negotiation and what is the ultimate goal? Well, in terms of a definition, it's interesting. If you think of negotiation just in it, it as a broad definition, I mean, it's really interacting to reach an agreement. It's, if you look at it, it's most basic sense. And, and that's that the thing about negotiation that a lot of people don't want to hear is that we are always negotiating. Always. If you're talk, anytime that you are talking about something of value or where two parties view value differently, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's emotional uh, value, you're negotiating. And if there's more than one, you're even negotiating with ourselves, right? I mean, so it doesn't even have to have two people involved. We negotiate with ourselves about these things all the time. Um, you know, there's a guy named Chris Voss who wrote Never Split the Difference. It's a very uh, famous negotiation uh, text and one that a lot of negotiators read. And he has a great quote and kind of is, it encompasses what he teaches. And he says, the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. And that's... Hmm. That's kind of how I how I start that conversation is that we are always negotiating. So it's it is it's that idea of interacting to reach an agreement. Now, I, I, now collaborative negotiation. 
which is what I teach, is just one is one um, choice of negotiation. It's one style of negotiation. Now, I I believe, and I and many many uh, uh, people in the industry, in my industry, whether it's real estate or negotiation uh, in general, believe that at the, that in in today's age. Uh, collaborative negotiation is the most effective, and mm-hmm. how you define collaborative negotiation is is a little bit more nuanced. And that is, um, it's the idea of the it's kind of it's the idea of a win win. And as cliche as that is, when I start talking about negotiation, I start talking about win win. You know, people think that that's just it's a it's a cliche that's kind of played out, and it's kind of this idea of splitting the pie fifty fifty and making sure everybody gets an equal amount. And it's really not that. It's so much more complex than that. Um, it's taking away from that fixed pie mentality where there's only a certain amount of space in that pie, and I've got to get 51% or more of it. And if I do, I win. If, if I, and if I do, necessarily, you lose because I got 51%. And it's about saying, look, we all look at value differently. So if I can understand the interests and needs of the other side, not that I can get them what they want, but if I can just understand them, listen to them, hear them, maybe I can identify value elements that are less important to me, more important to them, and make that pie bigger and expand the value of the pie. And in that way, I can maximize the gain from my side. I can get more from my side than I would if I just smashed and grabbed and tried to get 51%. I can actually make the pie bigger. If they get more in in the end, at the end of the day, I don't really care. Really what I'm interested in is how much my side gets or how much I get as a negotiator, as a if it's if I'm negotiating for myself, what am I getting? Or if I'm negotiating for a client, what is my client getting? And and I'm trying to make that pie bigger. I'm trying to expand it so that then when I claim value, I can get more than I would if I just looked at it as what do I want and how do I get it? I'm envisioning this endless pie now. Yes. <laughs> it it can be Not endless. Yeah, not that I'm eating pie right now. It's January. Uh, I'm going to wait wait till at least March, baby. I, I started to hear you tap into already some of those steps. You talking about understanding what some of the value is the other person wants. So can you break down for us more the steps in negotiation? Yeah. Um, so the because this is all about um, information gathering and and. That, that's what I call the unsexy part of negotiation. And, and there are studies that are, that are done. There are, there are, there's so many wonderful texts out there that, that talk about texts out there that talk about um, this idea of how to create value, how to ask questions, how to, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, one, of, one of them um, is a book called Bargaining for Advantage by G. Richard Schell. And there was a study that was done about negotiators maximizing or, or seeing what outcomes that the, the skilled negotiators versus average negotiators get. And he talks about that. How do you, how do you prepare? What are, the, what are the best practices for a negotiator? And, and because we are talking about integrative negotiating and, and uh, integrative negotiating and, and taking the other side's interests and at least understanding them, um, we want to prepare. We want to make sure that we understand our goals that we're organized. So the, that's the first step, to, to prepare, to plan, to organize. If I'm negotiating on behalf of a client, so let's say that I'm, that I'm not negotiating for me, I'm negotiating as a real estate professional on behalf of my client. I need to know who my client is. I need to really sit down with them and not only understand what's, what's of value to them, what, do they, what are their interests or what, 
what interests them, what do they want, what do they need, what are their must-haves, what's on their bucket list. I also need to know what is their experience. What are the things that, from an emotional standpoint, might cloud their vision, so to speak, or make them uh, take what we call stands? Um, and, and, and you, you know, you you talk about this as well. But that idea of taking a stand or taking a position that is really more a a a, a way to protect yourself so that you're not taken advantage of, rather than the actual area of concern that you're dealing with or the thing that's driving that stand. So when you really understand your client and build trust with your client, they're going to be more honest with you about what those areas of concern are. And then you're going to be much more Mm -hmm. able to persuade them not to do what you want to do, but to do what is in, give them choices that will allow them to do what's in their own interest. So you know, persuasion is a is another facet of negotiation, and sometimes it's a, it's synonymous with with negotiation. But that idea of persuasion of of getting someone to see it your way, so to speak, um, is is um, is very important. And and we don't do it as a way to manipulate our client, or as negotiators, we shouldn't do it as a way to manipulate our client. But we have to be in a position to persuade them in order to help them make the right decision. So getting them past that stand, understanding your client, really, really building that trust and rapport with them at the beginning is, is the first step. Um, and then, and then share, go ahead. Can I share a quick example? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you just, I, I have this stand concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, in March of 2020, I, had to, I bought a new car because I had a two-door car and we were about to have a baby. And my husband did not want a Toyota. Mm. And you know why? why? Because my parents, all my parents ah. had was Toyota. And he thought of my old parents. And he thought, oh, no, I, we can't get Toyotas. Those aren't cool. And, and it was very similar where it's like it was just a stand, yeah. but not based on any of the logistics or practical side. So we went and we looked at Chevy and Ford and all these different models. Then we went to Toyota and man, that Toyota sales rep, he shared the value of that vehicle and compared it to the others. And now I have a, a, a RAV4 Toyota. So, but it was very similar at first. I was like, well, there's no way I'm getting a Toyota. Cause that is like, this old person yeah. <laughs> car in my husband's mind. And so uh, we went through that process. So without even realizing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that is what was occurring when we were shopping for a new car. It's, yeah. And that's amazing because we all do that, right? We, we, we yeah. all, and what's, imp- what's important about where you got with Tristan and with that, with that example is that you, you were able to get, whether he, whether he was able to, to, to relay that to you or to uh, articulate that, or whether it was something through conversation you found out, you, you got to the area of concern. You got beyond the, mm-hmm. the stand where, where the positional bargaining is, we're not, I'm never going to get a Toyota. And, you're, and you say, well, why not? Toyotas are great. We should consider a Toyota. Well, I'm not getting a Toyota. Well, we should consider, and you just go back and forth. And, and, and you can do that all day long until you say, you know what? Can you help me understand what it is about a Toyota that's really concerning you? Or what is it about a Toyota that you don't like? Or if we were to make a list of the things about a Toyota that you do like or that you've heard that are great and those things you don't like, what would that list look like? You know, how and what questions are big, and we'll probably get to that later, but how and what questions are always big in trying to figure out 
um, that area of concern or, or any, you know, try to delve down as, a, as, as someone asking questions. And when that, when that person comes back and says, well, yeah, you know, the, because my parents had one. Now, once you understand the area of concern, you go, okay, instead of that being irrational or, or crazy or stupid or whatever the, 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 the term you want to put, the label you want to put on it, if you acknowledge that and say, oh, okay, I get it. I understand that. I understand yeah, that, could, that could be a reason why you don't want a Toyota. That makes sense. How about this? Let's bring a third-party expert in to tell you more about Toyotas and how they may have changed since the last time that you rode in one or your parents had one. And then you can, and if that, after that, you say, I still don't want a Toyota based on some expert advice from a third party, then great. Let's move on and let's get something else. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking it away from a positional bargaining with you and your husband, and you're saying, don't we agree that we should probably have someone who knows a little bit more about this? Tell us a little bit more about this, and then we can have a, another conversation. So bringing in third-party experts can be a, a, a key in that respect. I love that. I, I think it's so challenging when it feels like the other person is being unreasonable yeah. to actually stop and ask those questions. I mean, that's the hardest part for me. To not just be like, you are being illogical yeah. right now, right. but to actually stop and say, okay, tell me why in a way that isn't just like, why that, you know, they actually want to respond to and are willing to open up and share. I think that's the hardest part. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's an, it's our natural reaction to take stands because it protects us. And even responding to a stand, we take a stand because it protects us because otherwise the, 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 what we feel the alternative is to say, okay, I guess, I guess Toyotas are off the table and everything in your being is like, no, but there are some really great Toyotas out there. And so now I want to have this argument because I want to defend Toyotas. In fact, Toyotas are now my favorite vehicle, you know, <laughs> and that's how, and that's that. And then that's what happens. It goes, it leads to retreat or entrenchment. And now you've got two people on opposite sides fighting an argument that, they they didn't they their position wasn't that strong at the beginning, but the 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 more you back them into that corner, the stronger they feel like they have to make that argument. I love it. Oh, already those real even like home. I I think of home situations the most as as you're talking. Um, they're already popping in our mind. Yeah. So I I interrupted you. You're going through your steps. Well, yeah. So uh, I'll continue, and please feel free to interrupt me. I'm um, I am not short on words, <laughs> as, you, as you probably have found out already. But I'm I I I wholeheartedly accept uh, um, interruptions, interjections, and I love the sto- The stories are really what bring all of this. You know, the anecdotes and the examples are what really shine a line light on why these things work in 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 real life and why we see them in our everyday lives. And sometimes I'm, t- I'm talking to my, to my students in my classes and we're talking about how simple these concepts are, but you never stopped to really l- not, not think about of them individually, but think of them collectively to think of the steps of a negotiation and how, how many wrong turns you can take with a client or with yourself as you go through a negotiation. And if you really going back to, you know, bringing it back full circle, if you really go back to that full, that, that first um, part of how to set up a negotiation, that if you go back to that planning and that organization and that goal setting, then, you know, you, then you, you, you have that there. 
And so you're not just kind of shooting from the hip as you go, you know, as you take these steps, you can look back at your plan, your goals, and, and, and your organizational tools that you're using to make sure that you're following uh, the, the path that's going to, that's going to get you to where you want to go. Because you have to, you have to make sure you, you can't, your, your, your plans and goals can change along a negotiation, but you, you have to be very intentional if you're going to change your goal. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to shift over here. Okay, now I want this instead. Now, and if you do that, you're going to lose a lot of power in the negotiation. So being very, very, very uh, intentional about what your goals are and then making sure that if that's changing, that you're actually sitting down and understanding why it's changing. Um, in real estate, for instance, I mean, we talk about going from your first offer, which is below the ask, to, uh-oh, everybody's at the ask, to, uh-oh, now we're in best and highest and, and everybody is above the ask. And so your goal has shifted because you thought, oh, what can I get? What discount can I get? And then you went to, oh, do I really have to pay a full price? And now you're at, do I really want to pay more than the asking price? And so our goals can shift depending on what our needs and wants are, but we want to be very intentional about that. Um, so I talked about preparing organization, uh, goal setting. Uh, that I mentioned this before, starting with the other side's interests. And it's very important that, we, I reiterate this idea. I, I say this in my class. It's not kumbaya by the fire. This is not like everybody hold hands and take half, half the pie and everybody, you know, that's not what negotiation is. I am trying to maximize the gain for my client while adequately satisfying the other side. I want them to feel as though they were adequately satisfied and that's it. In a real estate transaction, I want to do that because there are opportunities for them to claw back, to come back for retribution. It's not just one negotiation in our lives with our spouses, with our children, with our in-laws, with anybody that we interact with. It's never one negotiation, right? And that's where competitive negotiators are very transactional and that can get them into trouble because our, our lives are not transactional. So, um, so um, starting with the other side's interests, it's not telling them that you're going to satisfy their interests. It's not telling them that you're going to get them what they want. You just want to understand them. And that opens the door to trust. That opens the door to so many possibilities to gain information when you look at the other side and say, look, what's important to you? Let me ask you this. What's important to you? I don't care if you're talking about the car dealer or you're talking about the person in the grocery store or the person at the jewelry shop or another party that you're negotiating real estate with. When you say to them, let me ask you, what, it, what, is, what does your store value? What are they looking for? When, you, when I have, you have a purchaser come in looking for a watch, what, what's valuable to you? And it could be that they say the person who's willing to pay the highest price, but you may uncover that there are other things of value there to them that maybe it's, maybe it's longevity of a customer. Maybe they're looking for somebody who will come back two or three times. Okay, how can you benefit from what, they, what it is that they want? How can the fact that they want you to be a lifetime customer help you get a better price on that first watch that you're going to buy there? Are you willing to become a lifetime customer if they're willing to engage in that kind of a loyalty with you? So you might find out those things that you don't otherwise know. So, so starting with the other side, understanding what they want and what they potentially want, what their needs are, and then, and then, and then trying to see then if you can come up with those exchanges, right? If you can say, oh, in a real estate example, they want to close quickly, right? And to my client, I don't really care when they close. They're going to move from this. They don't need the proceeds of the sale for the next 
apartment or house or whatever it is. So they have a they don't really care when they close. Now, if I go to the other side and I say, oh yeah, no problem. Whenever you want to close is fine because my client doesn't really care when they close. Well, I've just given up a, a, an, a, an opportunity to exchange something that has low value to me and give them something that has high value to them. If I do that, doesn't it make sense that I can ask for something of value in return as opposed to just say, oh, that's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, that's why this is not kumbaya by the fire. It's not like, oh, yeah, go ahead and take it. It's not worth anything to us. I want to understand what's valuable to them. I've already lined up through planning and organization with my client what's, in, what's uh, valuable to them. And I say, oh, they want to close quickly? Well, perhaps we can get them to put a higher down payment down. Or perhaps we can get them to put a cap on repairs or, or, or give us the last, last uh, asking price that we were offering or last, you know, last go around on the negotiation and come to us, us on price if we're willing to give them that thing of value. So starting with the other side allows you to start to do that. Um, gathering information I mentioned. This is, I said, the unsexy part of negotiation. Um, <laughs> there's another great book called uh, uh, Negotiation Genius by Deepak Malhotra and Max H. Bazerman. They're from the Harvard program, which is arguably the best. And I actually took a class from Deepak Malhotra. He's insane. He's amazing. Um, but they, they, their, their takeaway, the, one of their takeaways from this book is uh, negotiation is an information game. And we, and we, this is why you're afraid to negotiate with your 16-month-old, Becky, and why I'm afraid to negotiate with my, you know, my nine- and six-year-olds is because they are ceaselessly curious. They keep <laughs> asking questions. They won't stop. They don't have a filter. They're not worried about whether they're being too intrusive. And this is why a lot of people say that a five-year-old child is the best negotiator there is because of those reasons. As soon as we stop asking questions because we think we're bothering someone, we stop gathering information. And so, so that idea of gathering information, finding new and different ways to gather information, and getting rid of that, that filter or that, that, that desire to please the other person or to not bother the other person or to not feel intrusive, the more we can get rid of that and just say, I'm, I'm here to gather information so that I can grow that pie, so that I can gain, uh, create value in this transaction, if I can do that, then I can kind of make sense of why I'm asking the questions. If I can remind myself that this is all about gathering information and understanding the other side. Um, Chris Voss, who I talked about, his, his whole, his, his company, his negotiation company is called the Black Swan Group, if, uh, for those of your listeners who know him. Um, and the reason it's called the Black Swan Group is because there's, you know, there's this, this, this piece of history that we now know of where everybody thought at one point that there were no black swans. There's only white swans. And then at some point, somebody found a black swan. I think it was in New Zealand or, or, or Australia or something like that. And all of a sudden, the world awoke. And, to, awoke I think I don't know if I used the right word. Yes. The world awoke <laughs> to a new reality, right? That there were actually black swans in the world. And it, it changes your perception of the swans. And so that's this, his idea is there are things out there that you don't know. And until you know them, you don't have, you don't have the full picture. Once you know them, it changes everything. And so if you can find those black swans, if you can ask questions and uncover these truths about the other person that will allow you to create more value, that's where the magic happens. So I'll stop there for a moment, but that, the, it, the, the, that's the first few steps. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I was trying to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I so preparing, mm-hmm. goal setting, yeah. understanding what the other party wants. You're good. Gathering information. Yes. And okay. then and then from there, once you're in that negotiation, you want to anticipate issues. You don't want you don't want to you want to make sure that you're following you're you're you've still got that plan, right? You're organized. I'm gonna think about what potential issues there can be. And then I can have conversations with my client that empower them. And I can have that that if then, you know, that Aristotle, that that back to Aristotle, that if then conversation. What do we do? If this happens, then this. If this happens, then this. And we can go through three or four scenarios. And we won't be blindsided by something that may come down the pike. So anticipating issues, um, and then and then there now we're into that creating value where you look at these if different value items that you can possibly exchange. You take them all in a bundle. You don't negotiate them individually. You say, okay, look, it looks like this is important to you. Um, if we are if we allow you to close quickly, or if we agree that we will purchase three items from your store in the next year, whatever it is. Um, then you will give us X, Y, Z, or it could be one item. It could be three items and you come up with that bundle. Um, and then you finalize that bundle and now, and that's where you create the win-win because everybody's agreeing to it. It is not just like smash and grab. It's not steamrolling or bulldozing or whatever the imagery is that we, that we use when it comes to, you know, rubbing someone's face in the dirt. It's, that's not what we're here to do. I want to get as much as I possibly can. And at the end of the day, the other person may have very little power, and power is a whole other thing about what, what, where these sources of power are. But yeah. the other side may have very little power, even if they have very little power. It doesn't mean you have to give them more than they deserve, but making them, helping them save face, helping them feel as though they weren't taken advantage of will change every subsequent negotiation you have with them. And that is absolutely worthwhile. It's worth giving them that little nugget. And that's, and that's really, and that's where, you know, then you claim value, you're, you're taking the different pieces of the pie, but that's kind of this, the steps of the negotiation. And there's awesome. so much in there. I know. Goodness. So I've, I've got after those first few, um, once the negotiation starts, mm-hmm. you anticipate issues, create value in a bundle mm-hmm. and finalize the bundle and create the win-win. Yeah, that's right. And claim, then close. Claim is- that. Claim that value. Well, then, then you want it yeah. once that negotiate initial negotiation happens. There's, you know, in a, in a real estate negotiation, which is my, you know, which is really where my focus lies. Now you're you've got to be in a project management mode where you're where you're 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 keeping an eye on key milestones and you're you're making sure that you project manage that deal. You can't just let it go and 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 hope that that negotiation that bundle holds together you want to make sure that you're 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 managing it um but yeah that when when you have that negotiation and even if it's a negotiation with your spouse when you sit down and you and you have a you 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 both want you want to go on a different vacation you each want to go a different place on vacation and and this is a great exercise for negotiation because you think about the value elements in an in a in a vacation and oftentimes we'll just, we will just, we're going on vacation and I want to go here. Oh no, we're going on vacation and I want to go here. I don't want to yeah. go to cold weather. I want to go to warm weather. And we narrow it down to like one or two facets of that entire vacation, weather, distance, you know, time, whatever. And, and instead of thinking, does it matter to you how you get there? Whether you fly or drive, does it matter to you where you stay? 
four-star hotel or five-star hotel or a motel? Does it matter to you whether they're what the entertainment aspects of that trip are? All, all the you know you can break down, and this is where negotiation becomes so incredibly um, uh, where you get skilled in the process. You can sit down and make a list of all of those value elements, which is part of that process of preparing with your client, right? You make a list of everything that's important to them. And lo and behold, you may find out after talking to your spouse that there's a value element that you don't even have on your list, which actually means that it's probably of very little value to you because you didn't even think of it. But it may be of significant value to them. Well, there's a great, a great exchange that could be made there, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think about all the value elements, instead of just negotiating that the 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 broader points of the negotiate of the of the va- of the vacation let's talk about how we're going to get there what's how how important that is to me how important that is to you let's talk about where we're going to stay let's talk about the timing let's talk about how long we're going to stay and then come up with a, a compromise that makes us both happy and you may find that you get the hotel you want and the and and the first class ticket that you want but you're going to a cold weather destination rather than a warm weather destination. And you feel good about that. You feel really good about that. As opposed to um, just resisting going to a cold weather de- destination because it's all in a bundle and you get no choice in any of the other you know, elements. That is like flashing me back to our vacation discussions this last year. <laughs> it was... Is there a CrossFit gym close by? Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice hotel or Airbnb, direct flight. So it's, yeah, without even realizing it, some of those criteria of value we've already started to identify. Uh, did you okay, agree so on Eric, those? I, did you agree on those did. elements? You did. We did. Yep. And <laughs> I mean, there were some elements like my husband, he works at a gym all the time. So he would be okay if we didn't go to a CrossFit gym all the time, mm-hmm. but I'm like, Mm-mm, I want to go every day. So he, <laughs> cause that, that is just makes my soul happy to work out every day. So we, we've met in the middle on, on a few yeah. of those, but for the most part, we kind of know these are the things that criteria wise we look for, uh, when planning a vacation. Yeah. Now if I, if, if I'm having that conversation with you and this is, you know, with our spouses, this is something that is, it's really hard because Ash, as you said, at one point, you know, stopping to, to really acknowledge someone's stand or stopping to like, at n- not getting beyond that immediately, um, uh, and wanting to kind of just take them on there. Um, that, that's the, that sometimes is the easier path. Whereas if I say, okay, if I know, so if I say, Becky, look, I know, I, if I acknowledge how important the CrossFit gym is to you, and, and, and it has to be authentic. It can't be like, it's important to me too, and I'm going to act like it's not important to me. You know, if you know yeah. that, it, it, that you both want to go to a CrossFit gym while you're on vacation, and you're like, hey, hey, this is really important to you. Not so much to me. And you're like, no, I know this is important to you. That's not authentic. <laughs> but if it's authentic and, and, and your husband says, I know that this is important to you, and I, and I want to make sure, I don't, I don't want to deny you that ability to go to CrossFit while you're there. Look, I'm absolutely willing to make that concession. Um, but if, if I'm going to make that concession, is there something that you would be willing to concede as well um, in order mm-hmm. to make sure that we're both having the best possible vacation? So you acknowledge yeah. that other person, especially in a, you know, in a real estate negotiation, it's not, it's not a partner. It's not a, it's not a relationship, so to speak. So you're not, you're not, it's, it's a different navigation of the negotiation. 
but you're still looking for items of value. And in, in a more soft approach with the spouse, you may say, is there something that you would be willing to give up as opposed to dictating what they give up? Whereas in a real estate yeah. negotiation, I might say, I'm willing to give you this, but this is what I want mm -hmm. in return. Yeah. yeah. So that less transactional in the, the relation, yeah. relationship negotiation. Yeah. As, as we get ready, we get ready to come to a close. <laughs> what simple tips do you have for our listeners? And let's say um, more specifically in that personal, I feel like we did a really good job diving into like the professional negotiation mm -hmm. and we've used some personal examples, but let's say personally, if I am in the heat of the moment and I realize all of a sudden I am in a negotiation <laughs> with my spouse, with my roommate, with mm -hmm. my sibling, what are some simple tips that people could follow in order to approach the situation in the best way? That's a great, that's a great question. And, and I think that they, there, there are some similarities in all of your negotiations, whether it's personal or professional. And one of them is that idea of building trust, of, 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 of taking it down from the stand and, and actually understanding what the other person wants. And as there's another great book I'm going to mention called uh, Getting to Yes, which is like the seminal collaborative negotiation book by William Urey and, and, uh, and uh, Roger Fisher. But th what they say is focus on interests, not on people, or focus on interests, not on problems. Don't, don't focus on the behavior. Focus on what they want. And, and really be intentional about what they want. And be authentic, again, I'll use that word, about what it is that they want. You want to be curious and you want to be authentic. What, how is it that I should understand what, what, it, what you want? Because that's really, really important to me. Um, and again, you're not guaranteeing that you're going to give that person that thing or that you can give that person that thing. But, you, but starting with the other person's interests is really, really huge. So building that trust. Um, and then, you know, preface your questions because you want to ask questions um, to your spouse, to your partner, to your friend. You want to be able to ask questions and to soften the blow of asking those questions um, you can just say, look, I'm, I'm curious. I, this is something that I really want to know, or I don't mean to be intrusive. Instead of assuming that you're going to be intrusive, preface your question with, I don't mean to be intrusive, or help me understand, or things that give power to the other side, um, things like that. Ask questions in a way that will allow them to, um, to feel good about giving you an answer. I, I mentioned what and how questions, like how should I understand that, or what did you mean by that, or 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 um, what sh what should I what what should I infer from from that the statement you said, blah 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 blah. If you start asking, we want to know the why. We always talk about the why. We want to know the why, but we ask those why questions in what and how forms. The moment that we start asking someone, why did you do this, or why do you think that, they start to back away. So frame, the way you frame your questions is really important. So thinking about what and how questions, prefacing with help me understand ways to kind of diffuse the fact that you are, might be being quote unquote intrusive with them. Um, that's going to continue that or maintain that level of trust in the negotiation. Um, empathetic listening, active listening skills, hearing the other person, just closing your mouth and letting them speak. <laughs> Op using open-ended questions and letting them talk. And we all fall into this trap, especially with our spouses. The moment that we feel like they're saying something that contradicts our beliefs or contradicts something we said, we jump right in. 
and we want to we want to have that discussion right now. No, 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 no. You you didn't hear me right, and we cut them off, and so closing our mouth and just understanding that a person may not get it right the first time that they're saying it, and letting them speak, letting them get it out, letting them get it out two or three times, and then you can test for understanding. Did I hear you right when you said? I want to make sure that I heard you when you said. You can do that after they've had a chance to say what they want to say, recorrect it because they weren't, they didn't say it. And how many times have we said this as human beings? I've said it probably five times on this podcast where you start a sentence and you stop and start over because you, there's a better way to say it. I, 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 I launched into this, but now I'm realizing I probably could have said it a different way. And when we're given the ability to stop and start and use the word, well, you know what? I don't, I didn't mean it that way before someone accuses us of saying something mean or hurtful, let them say, you know what, I didn't really mean it that way. Let them look at our body language and go, oh, that, that stung them a little bit. I'm going to take that back. And let them do that. Give them the opportunity to see your body language and take it back. So the more we can just stop and listen to each other, and this is, you know, in, in professional negotiations when people are texting and emailing and even phone conversations when they're trying to negotiate with, on that low level of, of, of a medium, um, it, it, can, it can create trust, trust gaps. So, so letting the other person see you and, and being there in person, being empathetic, watching their body language, all of that stuff is really, really helpful. You don't have, as, as a skilled negotiator, you don't have to argue. I mean, we all fall into this trap. I fall into this trap still. And it's hard with certain people than others. With my mother, I still find myself going stand for stand with her. Like if she says something, instead of just following my own advice, and I love, my, I have a, this awesome relationship with my mom, but I will meet her there. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, okay, let's have that conversation. Instead of just kind of like going, okay, what does she really mean by that? And, and um, so there are certain people in our lives that it's, it's harder for us to do it, but you don't need to argue. And if you like put that posted on your, on your laptop, on your wherever, in your, in your, on your office, that says, I don't have to argue. There's no, as a skilled negotiator, it never has to get into that, that realm because once you're arguing, you're always fighting stand for stand. Mm-hmm. You're no longer looking at the emotional drivers or the area of concern. You are stand for stand and you're positionally bargaining. And then I'll say one other one, and that is put yourself in the other person's shoes. We call it thinking double. Sit down and go, okay, if I were making their argument, how would I, if I were in their position, how would I view it? You know, think about this, about sending our kids back to school during COVID. You and your spouse have a different view on that. It's ruining your life because you can't work. Meanwhile, they're like, I don't want my kids to suffer from this virus. We all have interests. We all have needs. We all have uh, uh, real concerns that are driving our decision-making process. So when we sit down and say, okay, I see where you're coming from. I, I understand how this can, um, can be uh, painful for you. And so I, wanna, I want you to know that I understand that and I, and I don't take that lightly. Um, let's look at this holistically and see um, if there's a way that we can find a compromise. And if, and if that compromise, if then, right? If that compromise means that we keep our kids home from school for another year, if that's the best choice, then that's the choice that we'll make. I am not conceding that negotiation by giving that 
love and respect to the, that other person mm -hmm. by saying, I hear your point. And if that's the, if that ultimately is the best kaleidoscope of a deal that gets us to where we want to be, then that's what it's going to be. And, and I'm willing to accept that that's a potential possibility. Excellent. I love, I love the imagery kaleidoscope yeah. to end. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Eric, we, I am fully confident we could talk about this for hours. Yes, uh, definitely. For people who want to learn more, get more tips, where can they follow you? Well, I have a blog. Um, so I have two blogs actually. Uh, one of them's more real estate focused. One of them's more negotiation focused and they're both, they both can be found at ericgislison.com. My married name is Eric Davy Gislison. I still go professionally by Eric Gislison as a licensed agent. So a lot of times you'll find me as Eric Gislison. That's my, that's my uh, given name. Um, so at uh, ericgislison.com is where you'll find my blog on real estate is one and growing the pie, which we talked about why that's yeah. relevant. Growing the pie mm -hmm. is the other. Um, and you can find me on Instagram, although I'm, I am not as social media savvy as I want to be. And, and will be, but I am at uh, Eric Gislison for Instagram. Um, Twitter, I'm at Eric D. Gislison. And, uh, and then f you can find me on Facebook. I'm Eric D. Gislison on Facebook. As well. Oh, no, Eric. Yes, Eric D. Gislison on Facebook. Awesome. And Ash, we could probably put his blog post in the podcast notes. Potentially. Yeah, I can put a yeah. link. Yep, I'll put yep, the link you, to his you website. You send us those links and we'll make it easy. All right. <laughs> Definitely. Well, this was a blast to get to talk to you. And I definitely learned a lot. Uh, I, like I said, I was over here taking notes, um, already uh. thinking through some life scenarios <laughs> where I can apply this. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Eric. And, uh, My we pleasure. really appreciate you being a part of our podcast. I loved yeah. it. I appreciate uh, the time and, and allowing me to, to I, as, you, as you know, as you can see, I'm, I'm very passionate about the topic. And so I, I appreciate you giving me uh, the opportunity to talk with you both about it. Thanks, Eric. Awesome. Well, we hope you'll tune in next week. We're going to continue. Uh, we, I think we might have another special guest next week. So tune back in for a surprise on what that's going to be about. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>